All right, well, good morning. Oh my goodness, week two of the spring. I'm so excited. Uh, my name is Jacob Smith. I'm the teaching guy here at Grace, if this is your very first time. Uh, and if this is your first time, I should have you also know if you don't like dealing with the traffic madness or if the person next to you is just a little too close, uh, you should know that we have an evening service. Uh, seven o'clock here, or seven o'clock here in this building, uh, seven o'clock we all come here, we do the same thing. Like it's just, it's a duplicate. Uh, just later in the evening where we know it's a little bit less congested, lets you sleep in until... 2 p.m. if you so desire. Why not? Live it up. You're 20. All right. So we have an exciting day upon us, though. This is the day that I have been looking forward to for the last couple, at least couple weeks, because uh, we are going to be talking about basically the, what this picture is about, like so David and Goliath. Oh, my goodness. So a lot of us have heard this story. Uh, a lot of us have maybe heard this story in a certain context. I would challenge you to just keep your mind a little bit open this morning. Keep, keep your expectations a little bit, uh, I don't know, just flexible, uh, because we were probably going to be coming at it from a slightly different direction than you're used to. And in order to understand that direction, I'm going to have to tell you about uh, when I was in eighth grade football, uh, because that was the very last time that I was involved in any sort of organized sport, uh, eighth grade football. And I, uh, it was pretty much the last one I was involved in because uh, I was the position of right guard. Okay. And what that means is that every day, all day, all I would do for all of our practices is just like run up and down the field or run through this like terrible old obstacle course. The entire time our coaches, you know, like yelling at us and like putting posters in our face that are like, nobody ever drowned in sweat. And you're like, oh, I guess. And pain is weakness leaving the body. We we're like, oh, okay. And we were doing these like crazy maneuvers and getting really sweaty and really hot. And I mean, it's like 120 degrees in Texas. And so we're all dying in our pads. And we would push our coach on this big sled. He would stand up on his, this big, like, pushing sled thing, and he would, like, be drinking his iced tea or something. And we'd be trying to push and push him and push him. And we're 13, so it's hard. And he, the whole time, would yell at us. The, the, my number one memory, Coach Win, Wingfield, yelling at us, saying, You boys been sucking too much Freon! <laughs> Meaning that we enjoyed air conditioning. That was an insult in his book. <laughs> you Freon, he would literally call us Freon suckers. And we're like, oh, I don't know what that means, but I know it's bad. And we were trying to push him and push him. And there was one practice in particular where they got us up on this rusty old metal obstacle course. And we're supposed to jump up and down from these boxes. And as I was jumping up to get onto the box, my foot slipped and my shin hit the edge of the box. And I just gashed this huge, I have a scar to this day on my shin where it just gashed open. Blood was just pouring forth from my leg. And so I kind of stumbled over to the side, get out of the way. So I stumble over to the side and I'm looking at my leg and I'm really concerned because I'm already dehydrated and I'm feeling really lightheaded because there's blood just shooting 30 feet out of my leg, just out. And so I go to my coach and go, coach, coach, we feel, please. So can I, can I go like get this? bandaged or something, right, as just a pool of blood is collecting around my feet. Can I go see the nurse? And he looks at me. He looks at my leg. He sees the blood. He sees the pain, the sweat, the, the tears that are mixed in with the sweat, the blood that's probably up here by now. And he looks at me and goes, no! Get back out there and push the sled! And I didn't know what to do. And so in that moment, as I, he's just screaming in my face, I just thought to myself, 
this is, this is it. <laughs> this is how I end. <laughs> this, this is the end of everything. Like, I've had a good run. I'm in eighth grade. I'm a teenager. I've done a lot of stuff. I guess this is it. This must be the time that God had selected. This is the bleachers I'd be standing on when I just collapse and die here in the middle of eighth grade football practice. And the reality is that a lot of us have had that moment where we come to that point where we realize, where we think we realize, wow, this, this is it. This is my end. This is the thing that's finally going to do me in. We often have that moment where something comes up in our life. I'm like, well, all right, this there's no way I will overcome this. Like, right, this is the end of me. Uh, if you're my little sister, it was when you were sitting at home and your husband comes in, uh, sees you and your child, and he says, hey, I'm done. I want a divorce. And he leaves. If you're my wife, maybe it was when you were in high school and your dad comes home and he says, hey, I, uh, I got to let go. I don't have a job anymore. And I don't know what we're going to do. Or if you're like one of my youth parents last year, last February, it was when you got a call from your son's high school. And they tell you, hey, um, Jake's heart just stopped a beating today. And he's dead. If you haven't faced a moment of just complete darkness, where you think that this is your end, I promise you it's coming. It's not a question of whether or not you will face darkness in your life. It's a question of when. And when we look in Scripture, we realize that God doesn't always just abolish darkness. Instead, what we realize, what's more important than the result of that darkness, what's more important than the outcome, is how do we respond to that darkness? This semester, we're going through the life of David. We're looking at his stories and his psalms. We're looking at the things that he did, and we're looking at the things that he wrote. Whitney read at the very beginning, Psalm 9. That's just a peek into David's life, into his almost inner thoughts. And our goal in looking through the life of David is to understand this man, this one person in all of Scripture that God describes as a man after his own heart. The one person in all of Scripture that God says, this person, they're in sync with me. We want to understand this man. We want to understand this person because we want that heart. I want that heart. I want you to want that heart. I want you to be a man or woman after God's own heart. But in order to get there, we've got to understand what did, what did David do? Like what made him tick? What were the foundational pieces? We started off two weeks ago looking at how did David respond to sin? His response to sin was huge in making him who he was. Last week, we looked at his response to rejection. How did he deal with the rejection that we all face in life? And this morning, we're looking at how does he respond to darkness? How does he respond to that moment that you just assume is the end? And I'll tell you, he doesn't have any magic tricks. There's, he doesn't have this action. He doesn't have this game plan or the set list of things to do. Instead, what he does is he remembers three things. His response is to remember three things. He remembers God's greatness. He remembers God's grace. And he remembers God's gifts. But this darkness that he's facing, 
Again, some of us have heard the story, some of us haven't. It picks up in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 2. If you have a Bible, you probably want to turn to 1 Samuel 17, because we'll be there all morning. But 17, verse 2, we open the scene and we're looking at Saul. Okay, The king of Israel at that time, Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the, uh, on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. So we set the scene, we look out, and we're in a valley. Okay, this is a big valley, probably about a mile wide, and we're looking at two armies. We're looking at the Israelites, yay, and the Philistines, boo. Okay, Philistines were really evil guys. They were invading Israel's land at that time. Okay, these dudes were super bad. We're not even going to get into it. They were just super, super bad. And so they are invading Israel's land. They want to take it for all for themselves. They want to enslave the Israelite nation. So Saul, the king of the time, says, no, 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 we can't have that. That's... That's bad for my kingdom. And so he gets an army together and they go out and they just line up. Okay, so they're facing each other. Just, you know, they're giving each other a stare down, yelling insults and spitting, right? Like tough guys. And so they are looking at across this valley from each other. And all of a sudden the Philistines send forth this champion. They send this guy named Goliath, who's about nine foot nine. Uh, If we kept reading, we'd see he has like all this crazy armor that weighs a couple hundred pounds. So this dude's huge. Right, just ginormous. Just imagine me, but like a little bit smaller. Okay, so that's this guy just walking on out. And he's coming up to the front of the line and he says something incredibly interesting. Verse 10 picks up, it says, And the Philistine and Goliath said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed. They were greatly afraid. Goliath comes out, issues a challenge, says, hey, send one guy to fight me. And whatever happens in our battle, whoever wins, that army wins. This was actually a practice. This was a pretty common thing back in those days. You would often have a champion and you didn't want to, because everyone knew like it was really kind of pointless to kill the, all the men from the nation that you want to conquer. And so they'd be like, hey, let's just settle this. Let's settle this like gentlemen and only kill one guy. Okay, and they're like, all right, fine. And so they send out champions. And so Goliath is just doing the thing. He's, this is probably his role. He's probably done this multiple times. He goes out and says, hey, come on, bring it. I'm ready. I'm the champion. Send one guy, come on out here, fight me. You know, he gives a little bit of smack talk. And he's like, come on, I bet you can't. I bet you can't. And sure enough, Israel doesn't send out a champion. They don't only not send out a champion this day. In fact, we see for 40 days, Philistine came forward, took his stand morning and evening, twice a day, every day. For 40 days, Goliath walks out into the middle of this valley and says, hey, come on, you can right? He's probably dehydrated, so he can't talk about it. And for 40 days, Israel says, "Uh, no, I don't don't think so, right? They don't send anyone. And we find out it's because they're terrified, right? It's because they don't know what to do about this champion. He's too huge. In fact, we look at the Israelites and we get an idea of who's there. We see that actually the three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle. The names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, next to him, Abinadab, and the third, Shema. Which if you were here last week, if you've read 1 Samuel chapter 16, you realize, hey, 
these are David's older brothers, right? These are those dashing Hemsworth boys. (laughs) They're there. They're in the army. And yet even Thor and Gale cannot (laughs) imagine how to overcome Goliath. They look out. These are impressive men, right? These are men that Samuel looked at the prophet of God, the word of God in Israel. He looked at these men and he said, they should be king, right? That's what he decided. But even they will not challenge Goliath. Even they are too afraid of going out against this big, huge, nine foot nine guy. So our question is, okay, well, where's David, right? We're supposed to be studying David, right? David's been in the whole story up to this point. And we find out that David was, in fact, running errands for his dad. We see, uh, I'm skipping some verses here and there, but he was basically uh, going between his dad and the army. He would go and he, would taking, he was taking supplies, uh, and he was also still taking care of the sheep, Right? Remember last week, we looked at how he was faithful to take care of the sheep, the flock he had been given. So he's running those errands. He's taking care of those sheep. But there's one errand in particular where his dad, Jesse, says, hey, David, I need you to go take uh, some bread and I need you to take some cheese up to the army. Take it to your brothers, right? Because they got a carbo load. It takes a lot of work to maintain that, that you know? He's like, take out this bread and cheese, help them out. So David goes and we pick up in 22 and it says, and David left the things, meaning the bread and cheese, in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks, went and greeted his brothers, and he talked with them. Behold, in the middle of his conversation, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines, spoke the same words as before, and David heard him. Day 40, meaning after at least 79 times of speaking this challenge, Goliath comes out one more time. And the narrator gets to use like the best line. And David heard him. David heard him. Lots of people have been hearing him. Lots of people had heard his challenge. The king of Israel had heard that challenge. Big, beefy Hemsworth boys heard the challenge. But they didn't care. Look at them. (laughs) They didn't care about the challenge. They were too afraid. They said, no, no, no. Like that's way out of my league, right? Like that guy is humongous. Like I can't handle that amount of person, right? Like there's no way that I can go out into that battle. Instead, we have to wait for David to hear the challenge. And at this point, we've retold, we've repackaged this story so many times. I looked up the top movies, like the top grossing movies of last year. Six of the top 10 were all underdog stories. Six out of 10, making a total of like billions of dollars. They're all underdogs. They're all David and Goliath. They're, they're movies like Gravity, where it's like they're little and space is so big. Or it's, uh, movies like Monsters University, where it's like, oh, they're the little lame group. But then they win, right? Spoiler alert. And so we see, <laughs> sorry, if you had your heart set on that one. But we see this idea of an underdog story. We've told the story about the little guy that just nobody notices and he overcomes all odds and he beats the big guy, right? He wins. He's so amazing. He wins. And Christians, we use this story ourselves. We repackage the story. We use it a lot at camps, at youth camps. We use it a lot in our church services. And we use it as a pep talk to get you all riled up, to go beat your giant, 
right? We've all had that moment where maybe the youth pastor guy or the camp counselor guy, or maybe you did it last year when you were an impact counselor or a fish camp or whatever. When you worked at Pine Cove, you talk to your kids, you're like, hey, come on, man, who's your giant? Who's your giant? Right? And they say, oh, well, I'm, I'm mean to my sister. And you're like, kill it. Kill it. And they're like, my sister? No, the giant. Kill the giant. Right? And we get so we're like, yeah, David could do it. You should do it. And so we get all riled up. We say, man, I can't wait to go out and kill my giant. I'm going to go home and I'm going to beat that struggle. I'm going to beat that situation. I'm going to do these amazing things because God's on my side. If I believe in the Lord, all of these great things can happen to me. And the problem with our interpretation is that we are entirely focused on the outcome of David's situation. We are so focused on his external circumstances. And I know for a fact that that is the wrong interpretation because we just read the last chapter that was all about not looking at external circumstances. We just read a story where God said, don't look at the outside. Look at the heart. Look inside. Look deeper than how you're looking, Samuel. Look deeper past these guys like Eliab and Shema and Abinadab. They look awesome, but they're not. We're in the middle of a book that's dedicated to this terrible King Saul who looked great on the outside, terrible on the inside. Why do we choose David and Goliath as the one story in 1 Samuel to say, well, no, no we're going to focus on the outside for this one, though, because it's awesome. We're so focused on his outside outcome that we miss the point. We miss the fact that God puts David's brothers in this tale. He mentioned the author, we're going to skip the verses, but we see a conversation with Eliab. They make a cameo so that we'll remember. God brings them back. (laughs) Side note, I love this picture so much. I want to use it every week, but he brings back Eliab and Abinadab. He puts them in there for the explicit purpose of taking our minds back to chapter 16 and thinking, wow, I probably shouldn't be focused on the outward things right now. I probably shouldn't be focused on the outcome. Instead, I should probably be focused on David's internal outlook. Because if I'm focused on that outcome, when I go home and I still have clinical depression, what does that mean? I go home and my parents still get divorced, if my giant doesn't die, if I still struggle with pride or lust or anger or jealousy, if those things are still in my life, if that giant won't go down, I'm lost. If what I care about is the outcome in this story and God chooses not to kill my giant, God chooses not to give me the outcome I desire. I'm shook up. And sadly, most of us, myself included, have been there. That moment where you're just questioning God, saying, how can you let this happen? Why won't you take care of this thing? Why won't you heal my mom? Why won't you do these things for me? 
I trust in you. I have faith in you. I tell people about you. But this outcome doesn't line up with what I want to happen. This giant won't die. You're not banishing this darkness in my life. And the reality is God does that. We see it in David. He kills Goliath in this story. God kills David's giant. But you know what happens shortly after this? David has to go run away into the desert for years. Years and years of living on the run, miserable lifestyle, running for his life in the desert for years. Sometimes God kills that giant. Sometimes God banishes that darkness. And sometimes God lets it remain. So we can't focus on that outcome or we'll go crazy. Instead, we focus on the outlook. We focus on his internal attitude. We focus, instead of on David's outward circumstances, we focus on his inner heart. We look at that heart that was so in line with the Lord. We don't look at his actions. We look at his thoughts. And when we look at his thoughts, when we look at these verses here in a second, we'll realize that David remembered those three things. That he remembered God's greatness, he remembered God's gifts, and he remembered God's grace. David just heard Goliath's challenge. So he turns to the guys next to him, said to them, "Who shall be, or sorry, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine? Takes away the reproach from Israel. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God. David says, who is this guy? Who is this man who is not of the Lord, who defies the God we worship? Who is this guy? David is showing his cards. He's showing, man, I remember no matter how big this Goliath guy looks, my God is so much bigger, so much bigger. That's why we read, Whitney read at the very beginning, David's writing this. Some historians put it at the time of Goliath, David writes out, Arise, O Lord, not, let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. When was the last time that you prayed that God would take care of an entire nation of people? Oftentimes, our prayers are so focused, and that is good. We want to be focused on what we have here and now, but my goodness, don't forget the fact that God is huge. Don't forget the fact that God can erase nations. If we read more of Psalm 9, we'd see David talking about how God is so powerful that he took his enemies, he wiped them away, and wiped away all memory of their existence. God is huge. And we shouldn't forget that, because when we forget that, we fall into the lies that Job fell into. A guy in our Bible, name of Job, a bunch of bad stuff is happening to him, so he questions God. He goes, God, what's going on? So we have a few chapters, starting in 38, where God is speaking to Job. After Job questions whether or not God's really in control, the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? 
Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or, or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, all the sons of God shouted for joy. God goes on for chapters, talking about the oceans and the stars and these things in our world, our universe. And he's directing it all at Job saying, do you have any idea of who I am, of what I've done? I love it because this is like the sassy God chapter of our Bible. Job's like, well, you don't. And God, you, what? God says, who are you? I'm going to ask you some questions, son. You better get ready. Where were you when I built the universe? Where were you? Do you realize how huge I am? And we forget. We forget what David remembered, that God is so much larger than our darkness. He's so much greater than anything that could ever threaten us. My little sister, sitting at home, husband came back. They had a nine-month-old daughter. He said, I'm done. I don't want this anymore. So he left. She called me. She was living here in town at the time, and so I went and saw her. And I'll always remember driving up and seeing her and my heart breaking and me going to her and telling her how sorry I was. But I didn't know what, I didn't know what to say, but I was, I was there for her. And I'll never forget seeing just a piece on her face. She turned to me, she said, you know, we're going to be okay. She says, I've been praying a lot. Because my sister knew that there was a terrible road ahead of them. Terrible road. But she knew that it was okay. Not meaning that everything was going to be happy and awesome and joyous. Instead, she knew that God was greater than her darkness. She knew it. She remembered it. And it gave her a peace. Then we see David, a little bit closer to the battle, going to Saul. So he's in Saul's tent. Saul's like, all right, I guess you can do this. So Saul clothed David with his armor, put a helmet of bronze on David's head, clothed David with a coat of mail, and David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Meaning David tries to get all this armor and all this stuff. And he's like, ah, oh, this isn't working. It's too much. It doesn't fit me. This isn't going to work. So then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the brook, put them in the shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. The second thing we see that David remembers in the midst of that darkness is that God had given him gifts. That God had equipped him for that darkness. David didn't just say, oh, well, hey, God's on my side. I'm going to pray some and God's going to be, t- he's for me. If God is for me, who can be against me? And then just walk out into the battlefield with open arms. Come on, Goliath. I've got God. You know, like he doesn't do that. He doesn't just walk out with a prayer and that knowledge that God is good. Instead, he remembers, hey, God has practically equipped me God has given me 
practical resources for fighting, for facing this darkness in my world. For David, he had been faithful, right, to take care of sheep. So he knew how to use a sling. He knew how to use a staff. He knew how to use these different things. He had these different abilities. He didn't use the abilities that God had given Saul. He didn't use the resources that God had given to Saul. Instead, he says, no, God's given me things to do, things that I am capable of. He had these abilities that he could use in this darkness. And the reality is that God has given you gifts. He has equipped you with abilities. He has equipped you with his word, and he has equipped you with his people. Last week, we talked about how God has given us responsibilities. He's given us missions in life that if we're diligent, if we're faithful in those things, God will bless those pursuits in his way. You have abilities that you can be sharpening right now. God has given us his word. God has given us the most amazing resource in his Bible, in his scripture, and things that we can know and trust are straight from him. God has given us people around us. In fact, I'd say for you right now, in your situation, maybe one of the most amazing things God's given you, one of the most amazing gifts, is the people sitting around you. When I was about to die as an eighth grader, you all remember, remember my head had gotten chopped off and my arm was gone. As I was standing there thinking, this is it. In that moment, one of my buddies on the football team came up. He kind of grabbed me, kind of looked at my leg. And he looked up at the coach. He goes, Coach Winfield, I'll, t- I'll take him. I'll take him and get a bandage. Coach was like, oh, I don't know. And then there was a couple of my other friends that were kind of standing a little bit there. Like, yeah, he's, he's doing pretty, pretty bad, you know. And they're all probably like, he's really weak too. Like just <laughs> take it easy on him. Porcelain, okay? So they say, no, 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 look, come on, coach. Like you got to just let him go. He's on like second string B team anyway. So it doesn't even matter. Just let him go. Get bandaged. And he's like, oh, okay, fine. He relented. And so my friend's one of my buddies, he grabbed me. He's like, okay, come on. And so he took me inside, kind of helped me find my way through into the room where I was able to get bandaged up and took care of me. And I realized in that moment, wow, it is really good to have people like on my side, right? Like it's, it's great to have coaches, these like authority figures that can give me wisdom and tell me that no one ever drowned in sweat. But it's pretty great as well to have someone next to me, right? Someone who's got my back. And to be honest, a few of those guys that were on my eighth grade football team, those are the guys that I was in Bible study with in high school. Those are the guys that we went through just a lot of really interesting life experiences together. Some of those guys are the ones that I still, in fact, try at least once or twice a year. We all get together, even though we have families and kids and all these different things. We get together once or twice a year to just talk, visit. We call each other throughout the week. We stay accountable with one another because I've realized in my life that God has given me the gift of his people and I need to use that gift. I need to process events with my friends. I need to talk about things in my life or in other people's lives with my friends, with my brothers in Christ. If you do not have a Christian fellowship, someone who's fighting alongside of you, You can get it here. There are a ton of Bible studies on campus. We have Bible studies for everyone here at Grace. If you haven't signed up for one, I would encourage you to do so. You will never have a time in your life 
that's more fertile for building meaningful, lasting relationships. Promise you, this is the time when you can really pour into people. So do it. Meet with God's people. Join a Bible study. Lead a Bible study. Gather those resources. Use that gift that God has given you. Not only the abilities that you have personally, not only his word that is accessible to you at all times, but his people. Use those things. David remembered God's greatness. He remembered God's gifts. But he also remembered God's grace. David and Saul are in the tent. This is before the armor thing. He said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him. I struck him, delivered him out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Oftentimes we focus on this. We're like, wow, look what God can do. God can kill bears. Those things are huge. Wow, right? But that's not David's point. David isn't saying, look at these awesome things that have happened. He says, look at these things that God has done in my life. God, David is using past experience to set his present expectations. This is something that we do without even realizing it. We use our past experience to set our present expectation. I have a dog by the name of Parker, and she is very small. She's like 10 pounds and blonde and lovely, okay? But Parker, even though she's really smart and I can make her go to her kennel by just singing a song, it's pretty awesome, she cannot understand uh, home layouts. There's something about it that just really confuses her in the sense that she knows that we live, she knows that my wife and I live in our bedroom. She knows that we live in the living room, the kitchen, right? The dining room. She knows that we live in those areas. And so she knows not to uh, defecate those areas. She knows not to, you know, release, relieve herself in any of those places. But for whatever reason, little sweet Parker thinks that the guest room's Free game. <laughs> Open for business 24-7. For whatever, maybe because we're not in there a lot, she just thinks like, oh, well, these extra bedrooms, <laughs> I like this. I like this. And she uses it. And so we've learned after a, a year or so of being like, why does she keep, we've learned to just close those doors. So our strategy in life is that we just always have all of our doors closed, like the guest rooms closed. Because then she knows, oh, I can't go in there. And, oh, okay. And she goes away. She gives up. We've used our past experience with her to set a present expectation. Sometimes we forget, and she always reminds us. She's very, she's very faithful. Even when we house sit this last week, we forget, oh, they have the doors upstairs too. Then we go, oh, well, thanks, Parker. That's, won't tell them about that. But uh, we have this past experience, and we look at it. We study. We say, okay, I'm going to use that to set my present expectations for life, and I'm going to live accordingly. That's what David's doing. He says, look, I've seen what God has done. It's not just amazing God killed bears. He says, God killed bears in my life. God used me. God did these amazing things in my life. I've had this experience with the Lord. 
Therefore, I'm going to change the way that I live. I'm going to change my outlook now based on what happened in my past. Maybe you have not killed a bear recently. Maybe you haven't slaughtered any lions and struck them to death. But we've all had that past experience. If we all are honest, we can look back at our lives, reflect, and think, wow, I have seen God do this, or he answered that prayer. He moved in this way. Last February, I was still working in youth over at Southwood, and one of my parents, like I said, got a call. And the report was, hey, look, uh, your son, Jake, uh, he was just in class, and all of a sudden he collapsed, and he's dead. As far as the doctors could tell, he just, his heart stopped beating. No explanation. And he was dead. And I got the call, and so I went to go see his family at the hospital, and I just will always remember walking up through the parking lot, seeing him from a distance, getting up close, and just seeing the shock. His like four or five little brothers and sisters, they were all still in school, but his mom and his dad were there, and just the shock in their face. So I talked with them. I told them how sorry I was. I told them I didn't know what to say, but I was there for them. And they told me, well, could you officiate the funeral? Could you officiate the ceremony? And I said, okay. And I worked with them all week. And we were setting up details for the funeral and we were kind of getting things together and talking with the different pieces and aligning them all. And that was the first funeral I'd ever done. And so I was figuring it all out as we went. And pretty much that whole week, anytime I would talk with them, the mom or the dad, I just, it was just shock. It's the only way I could describe their face. It's just shell-shocked. Just lost, confused. So the day of the funeral came up and I got the chance to go to Southwood and just packed out auditorium. I got to share about Jake. I got to share about his impact and his legacy. I got to share about his faith. Strong believer, he was in Bible studies with me in my small group. And he had a lot of friends that were non-believers. So I got to share the gospel all these non-believers at this funeral. And I remember finishing and, and stepping down and going to my seat and just overwhelmed. And I remember praying to the Lord, just God, please use that gospel. God, please use that good news. God, please use that gospel that I just shared. Please, please. That's all I was praying. That's all I could think of. And I looked up and I saw his mom take the stage. We had talked throughout the week whether or not she was going to actually speak because I don't think I would have been able to. But she said, you know what, maybe if, I'm, if I feel okay, we're just going to call an audible at the funeral, and I'll go up and I'll speak. And so she decided, you know what, I want to speak. So she was up there. And what was so amazing is as soon as I looked up and as soon as I saw Christy standing there at the mic, I, she was just different. She had a peace about her. She had a peace that I don't often see. I never see in people whose loved ones just passed away. But she took the mic and she shared this amazing story about her son, about her God, about how she was hurting so bad. But yet in the midst of that hurt, she still had joy because she knew her God And she knew her son knew God. 
because she knew that because of Jesus Christ, little Jake had a relationship with God. She knew that because of Jesus Christ, that Jake was living in splendor in the presence of his God. She knew that. She knew that God gave grace in the midst of that darkness. It was a moment that was so powerful to see someone, not what she did. It wasn't even what she said. It wasn't the things that were out here. Instead, it was seeing this woman, this mother, remember that God is gracious. A woman who remembered God's grace in the midst of darkness because she knew John 16. She knew that Jesus told his disciples, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep, you will lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. He says, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. He says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart for I've overcome the world. Jesus himself promises darkness. He promises that we will have tribulation. He promises that we will have anguish. He promises us that the world will hate us for it hated him. But alongside of that promise of this darkness that will overwhelm us, that can sometimes just be too much, he promises a life beyond this world for those who believe in him. He promises that he is the way and the truth and the life. He promises that no man goes to the Father except through him. Our scripture promises us that God loved the world so much that Jesus came and died so that we would have life. The Bible promises us that it is only by faith, through grace, by grace through faith that we are saved. Faith in Jesus Christ, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. When I believe that, I have life that will never be taken away from me. So even if you can't think of some moment, even if some darkness is overwhelming you right now, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's an outward circumstance or situation. I don't know if it's just an internal struggle, a sin that you just can't beat. I don't know what your darkness is that you're in right now. I don't know what darkness you're going to face tomorrow. But I know that our God is great, that he's given us gifts, and that he has so much grace, that he has poured it out to us. That whether or not you can think of a specific moment in your life that God has worked, you can always remember the fact that Jesus Christ died for your sins. That in the midst of darkness and death, God moved and saved every believer. So as we enter into a little bit more worship, as we sing a couple more songs, I would just urge you, plead with you to not focus on the outcomes in this life. Don't focus on that giant that needs to die. Don't focus on that. But focus on your outlook. Learn from David. Adopt his outlook, his perspective, 
of remembering God's greatness, remembering God's gifts, remembering God's grace. That way, if our giants don't die, it's okay. Because one day this world will end and we'll be with Christ. Let's pray. Lord, God, we thank you for the lessons that we can learn from men like David. God, we thank you for the lessons we can learn from women like Christy Simmons. God, we thank you for the people that have come before us. God, we thank you for the people that will come after us. Lord, we pray that we would be diligent to lead lives that reflect you. God, lives that other people can look at and see and realize that you are true, you are right. If you would take a moment right now, just ask that the Lord would show you what gift you could be focusing on right now whether it's joining a small group or maybe just being more involved in your current small group, whether it's sharpening an ability that you have, whether it's studying his word. Ask the Lord right now just to reveal to you where, what gift have you forsaken? Which gift could you be focusing on? If you would take a moment and just ask that the Lord would remind you of his grace. that you would remember that he pours forth love, forgiveness, and mercy. If you've never placed your faith in Christ, ask the Lord to do something about that. Start a conversation with me or someone else here. If you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, ask the Lord to just remind you of that grace and then give you the push to maybe share that grace with someone else that we wouldn't just accept these gifts, accept this grace for ourselves, but that we would take them and use them for others. So ask the Lord to show you his grace, remind you of it right now, to help you remember it this upcoming semester.